Do libs want to cancel Christmas too? Antifa attacks a MAGA rally in D.C. More good vaccine news. Washington and Michigan impose lockdowns and exodus from NYC is real. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody. We are in the middle of November. We're getting close to Thanksgiving. And then after that, it's going to be on a, a rapid, a rapid schedule for the holiday period, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's. Fantastic stuff on the horizon, except we all know that there is this growing movement in the country from people who are lockdowners, leftists, statists, people that are obsessed with controlling others or who have been overcome with their own anxieties and fears. They want to tell you that you're not really allowed to have a holiday or if you have a holiday, it needs to be outside. You can only have certain family members. You can't go above 10 people. And this is all because if you don't, you're being reckless and people will will literally die because of that recklessness. We need to reject this. Uh, Enough is enough. It's time for us to say back off or blank off, if you will. It's time for us to tell people that we're not going to sit around anymore and allow government authorities to make these on the fly, seat of the pants decisions that don't ever have the intended outcome or whatever it is. If it's a lockdown now or if it's a lockdown in a month, it'll be temporary and it will eventually recede. It will happen and then it will stop happening and then there'll be more virus and we'll keep going. Wash, rinse, repeat. That's what we're going through right now as a country and have been for many months. But they don't want you to start thinking just because of the promising news about a vaccine. Now, another vaccine, this one, a Moderna with 94 plus percent uh, effectiveness in giving someone protection against this virus. Let's all understand there's already some portion of the population that has either just good enough immunity that they won't even show symptoms from this or they have antibodies and T cell immunity from either cross exposure to similar enough viruses or from this virus in the past. When you start adding a 94 to almost 95 percent effective vaccine into the mix, which is far higher than what was anticipated. We're getting much closer to this being a situation where it's absurd. It's frankly absurd. It's wrong to continue to insist that people not live their lives because of the risk here. Nobody thinks that we should build public policy off of a zero risk tolerance posture. And if anyone's going to question that, we would just say it is true. And I know that there's been all this anti-flu bro stuff over this year because this is not the flu. It's different. It's worse for older people. But every year, tens of thousands of people die from the flu and we don't shut down society over it. And you could certainly make an argument if we entirely shut down society, it would lessen flu cases. But there would be catastrophic costs that would come with that, especially if it were a yearly occasion. So what do we do? We tell people to try to be sensible, take individual, take personal precautions, get the vaccine. If you are an older person, although flu vaccines are 
really 30 to 50 percent effective in most years. And then we all live our lives because we do not exist in a society where the state promises you perfect health. You know, I understand that we have an average life expectancy now deep into the into the 70s. But that doesn't mean the government guarantees anyone that they'll make it deep into their 70s or even their 80s or perhaps even their 90s. Which would be fantastic. And a lot of us hopefully will make it there. But there are no guarantees in life, friends. And to build a government policy around that. Is destructive. It's also unconstitutional. It's eroding the relationship between free people and a government that are supposed to be representative, but but limited as well. Right. Representative of our of our interests and uh, supporting them but also knows that there are some areas that it, it cannot transgress. It just can't go. It's not the government's mandate. It's not its job. It should be troubling then when you have little Fauci over the weekend. This guy has still to this day not said anything that I could point to and say, you know what? This was really helpful. This was a game changer for us. This must have saved a lot of lives. No, in fact, at critical junctures, his advice has been wrong And it really just comes down to be afraid, panic, avoid each other and give up as much as you possibly can of your life while we try to figure out what the heck we're doing. That's really the sum total of what his strategy has been. And that's why when he says something like this now, I I understand that it was fake Tapper who even goes to the so no Christmas point in this conversation. But over the weekend, this is the uh, the top infectious disease expert of the United States government. And here he is telling everybody, you know, now not only are we going to have to more or less cancel Thanksgiving, we've also got to be prepared for the opposite of a jolly Christmas. You know, you can sit alone hoping you don't get some virus in your house, in your apartment and zoom family members from far away because everyone now is just a vector for disease and you can't take any risks for anyone. Here's how some of that exchange went. Play the clip. The vaccine has got to be deployed and we can't abandon fundamental public health measures. You can approach a degree of normality while still doing some fundamental public health things that synergize with the vaccine to get us back to normal. So not until the second or third quarter of 2021, though. Christmas is probably not going to be possible. Yeah, I'm. Well, you know, I, I think that if we get most of the country vaccinated. In- so we're not going to have vaccines by the end of the year. We've known that, but they will start in the new year. But in the meantime, what do we do? This is where the debate now lies. What should we think is acceptable between now and when vaccine distribution actually happens? And they're going back to lockdowns, even though the evidence that lockdowns work and save lives is questionable at best. And we have a government that's basing major policy decisions now, a bureaucracy. And yes, the Trump administration hasn't pushed back on this as forcefully as I think it should have. The Democrats, of course, are extreme lockdowners. They love this power and we'll get into their hopes they can use this far beyond just the pandemic, which I've been telling you all along would be their reality. Um, But we have to actually fight back against this. I mean, Michigan and Washington state have both gone into three week stay at home order lockdowns. Uh, so those are now states where they're they're pushing even the more extreme from what we saw the early stage of the pandemic restrictions. 
And that was why Dr. Scott Atlas, who was one of the president's advisors on coronavirus over the weekend, tweeted out that it's time to rise up against this stuff. Now, he didn't mean violence. I know the libs always jump to that. He just means you got to tell people no. You got to tell people, I'm sorry, we're not just going to keep obeying these rules because there's some people there who are terrified. I mean, if you're 30 years old and you're terrified of covid, chances are you're just not very well informed unless you happen to be a very, very small percentage of people out there who have uh, a, a kind of immuno, uh, immunocompromised state that would make them very susceptible to this. But that's we're talking about the exception, not the rule here. For most people in their 30s and their 40s, this is not a big deal. In fact, I just spoke to someone over the weekend. Uh, her whole family's got COVID. They, they feel like they've got some cold symptoms. They're basically fine. And they're all in their 30s and they've got young children. But this is the standard that, that ends up happening across the country for so many people. If you're 85, you know, you're at tremendous risk from the normal flu in any given year, as well as the possibility of just getting pneumonia from a variety of other infections. People who are at that age range are at risk from a lot of diseases. And yes, COVID has been a particularly uh, a particularly serious risk in this year. But we're we're treating all of society. I mean, the government's policies effectively act like everyone is in their 80s. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't take those steps for people in their 80s. But that's the focus protection that we talked about in the Great Barrington Declaration. That would be far more sensible. I am not afraid of getting COVID. I don't want to give COVID to anyone who's in their in their 70s or their 80s. And so I would limit my exposure to those people and I would make sure that there would be any, you know, that I would have precautions taken. But I'm not worried about getting COVID. And quite honestly, I'm not worried about giving COVID accidentally to somebody else who's in their 30s or 40s if I'm asymptomatic, because the chances of them uh, being particularly sick with it are also very, very low. These are the things that we've actually learned about this virus, about this disease. But they're not letting go of the iron grip of control here. They're acting like they figured this stuff out, like they know what needs to be done. Here is Dr. Fauci telling people that even after you are vaccinated, you are to continue with these public health measures. Play nine. Once the process is complete, does that mean they can take off their masks? They don't have to social distance? They can just go about their lives as before. You know, I would recommend that that's not the case. I would recommend you have an added uh, area of protection. Obviously, with a 90 plus percent effective vaccine, you could feel much more confident. But I would recommend to people to not abandon all public health measures just because you've been vaccinated, because even though for the general population, it might be 90 to 95 percent effective. You don't necessarily know for you how effective it is. So when I get vaccinated, which I hope to when when it becomes my turn to get vaccinated, I'm not going to abandon completely public health measures. I could feel more relaxed and, and essentially not having the stringency of it that we have right now. But I think abandoning it completely would not be a good idea. Because five to 10 percent of the people that get immunized, it will not be effective for. So they might actually get the virus right. if they just completely let down their guard. OK, that's interesting. Yeah, I think even even fake tapper there is realizing. So now we have no a no risk policy. You have a fiber. You get a vaccine that's 95 percent. Remember, it's not 100 percent. You're even going to get infected. And it's not 100 percent. If you get infected, you're even going to end up in the hospital or dying from it. it's not even close. It's less than one percent. 
Think about the percentages we're talking about here. And this is Fauci. People listen to this guy. He's just not very bright, folks. I don't know what to tell you. He doesn't see all the other things that are going on in society right now. You know, we're abandoned public, abandoned public health measures. What does that mean? Here's the question, Fauci. Can we start going to restaurants, stop wearing masks in the gym, stop mask shaming strangers for being outside in fresh air without a covering over their mouth and their nose all the time once a person has the vaccine? The answer is yes. This is a policy question. You know, there's a reason why we don't have doctors running everything. I'm just going to say it. He's only focused in on this one thing, this one point. He has no ability whatsoever to balance out the rest of what's happening in society. And he's been wrong countless times already about the things that he's told us. If I get this vaccine, should I wear a mask? Is that reasonable? The answer is no, it's not reasonable. Stop wearing a mask once you're vaccinated. Anybody who won't say that is a lunatic, okay? They're in love with their own control or they're so brainwashed with fear that they can't be trusted to make any decisions. A 95% effective vaccine? Did you realize what that's the whole point here is that if, if nine out of 10 people in a room can't get the virus, then the one person that can get it, the chance of them getting it is so much lower because that is herd immunity. That's how we get there. So the chance of the, the velocity of spread is going to collapse as you get more and more people vaccinated. Plus, you got people with the antibodies and the uh, the T cell response out there who have already been infected. So the pandemic's going to fall off a cliff. We're still going to wear masks. This this lunatic really thinks that I want to be walking into my building that where I live in a New York City next summer in the stifling heat with a mask on because there's a one in a million chance that I'm going to get covid. What is it going to take for people to realize this is now a scam? This is outrageous. They've moved the goalpost so many times. And now you've got this moron Fauci acting like. We're, we're trying to, to gauge for perfection. No chance of you getting COVID. Then COVID has to be eradicated in its entirety. We don't do this with other diseases. We, we don't do this with the flu. We, you know, we don't do this with... Uh, name anything that kills people that's out there right now. It still exists. It's still out there. Oh, you can't leave your house. Can't be around strangers because, you know, they might catch it from you. But this is what happens because the media is complicit in all this because they knew that the only way that Biden was going to win was putting the country in this desperate state of covid panic and using it as a, as a just a cudgel to bludgeon Trump with all the time, which is what they've done. So they created this panic and now they don't want to unwind it. Now they want to keep everybody nice and complacent. Bend that knee, peasant. Do what they tell you even after a vaccine. Absolutely not. And we're going to have to establish something and people are going to have to just come up with, you know, if you're vaccinated, you wear uh, some kind of a yellow wristband or something so you can walk around not wearing a mask anymore. And I don't even yeah, where's your mask. Yeah. Didn't even do anything, folks. We're getting more cases than ever before. Mask compliance is higher than it has ever been in this country. More cases than ever before. But they never try to even explain that, do they? Ooh, listen to the science. Yeah, the science, the real scientists, the ones that have to actually live with results from big pharma. They've created vaccines that once distributed means we get to go back to normal life. Full stop. Coughing on each other on the subway and not worrying about it. That's where we are heading with this vaccine. I don't care what Fauci says. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The average development timeline for the vaccine, including clinical tests and manufacturing, can take 8 to 12 years. Through Operation Warp Speed, we're doing it in less than one year. Uh, If you had a different administration with different people, what we've done would have taken, in my opinion, three, four, five years, and it would have been in the FDA forever. This is five times faster than the fastest prior vaccine development in history. Five times faster. Say it again, five times faster. Nobody can believe it, actually. It's a record, and it's happening. And it happened under Trump because of Trump, because of a government plan. And yet again, the timing here, it almost just feels like there's been history conspiring against the reelection of this administration, because I really believe if you had this vaccine information out there, if people knew where we were with this before they were voting, it would have changed their minds because this is a, a Trump administration directive. I mean, this comes from Trump's action, what we're seeing here. This is not just something that happened to occur while he was in the Oval Office. Operation Warp Speed, he's been talking about it for months. And what could be a better, a better outcome here? 90%, 95% multiple vaccines hitting the market. We're going to get mass distribution of it in the next couple of months. Next, well, next couple of quarters. And yet we're going to have a Biden administration that comes into power and they're going to do everything they can to try to act like, oh, it's their distribution of this. It's like Trump did all the homework and Biden's going to get to hand it in and act like he's the genius. You know, he's the one that really pulled this whole thing together. You can already tell the, the politics around this are going to be completely insane because when it really came down to it, this was the biggest challenge of the Trump administration. And on the single most important issue where he really could have done something, a huge victory with these vaccines. They'll never give him credit for it, though. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. This process has been driven solely by science and data. So it's a shame that some, one example being the governor of New York, have actually injected politics into the process and suggested the possibility of intentionally delaying access to an FDA-authorized vaccine, which is simply unconscionable. Yeah, it's truly sociopathic, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. I mean that. That Governor Cuomo would even consider a one-day delay of this just to spite Trump shows you this guy's a psycho. I mean, he's got problems, folks. He's, he's dangerous. Doesn't care. He goes out there writing leadership books while he's shoveling uh, old people with COVID into nursing homes, and they're dying by the thousands. Because he's, he's too stupid to figure out what a catastrophe that is. Then he writes a leadership book on what to do during COVID. A person who's capable of that is pretty frightening. And that's the situation we find ourselves in with Governor Cuomo of New York. He has already said that, they, that he's going to have his state health experts look at the vaccine and the data before it's approved for people. I live in New York, so this is personal to me. You know, I have parents here who are in their 60s and 70s and... I want them to be able to get this vaccine as soon as it comes out. And there may be a delay because Cuomo wants to play games. I thought that he was the guy that was Mr. Take the virus seriously. He wants to wait to get 
a life-saving vaccine into the hands of people who are at high risk in this in this state? What, because his board of of handpicked bureaucrats for whatever the New York state, I mean, I don't even know what he would call the health authority that would look over this. Is New York state bureaucrats are, are going to do a better job than the scientists at the FDA and also at at Pfizer and Moderna and these other places? These multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies, this is all they do. By the way, big pharma demonized a lot. And let's all take a moment here to recognize that big pharma may have may be giving us not only saving a lot of lives, giving the world our lives back. So, you know, a little golf clap for Pfizer and Moderna and these other these other companies that, yes, with the profit motive in mind as well, put world class, real world class scientists, not not world class bureaucrats who've been sitting around for decades doing nothing with no results to show for anything. Real scientists on this one. And now we're in a place where we got a 95 percent effective vaccine. And there are other vaccines. I mean, I don't know how much more effective. I mean, theoretically, I guess you get to 99%. Maybe I don't think anything will be 100%. Um, but there's more that are coming online. And yet there's still politics around this. There's still the desire to make it seem like you can't trust this because Trump. And that is just disgusting. It's reckless. And Kamala and Joe Biden played this game too. Remember during the campaign? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, if the scientists say, but not if Trump says, well, there was no there was no future in which Trump was going to say, take this vaccine when it hadn't been approved by all the scientists in the chain of command before. And that, that was a complete myth. That was a, that was preposterous. And everybody should have recognized it as such. But when there was an opportunity for demagoguery and to frighten people, what did Kamala and Joe do? Took the took the the completely dishonorable approach here by saying, oh, you can't trust this. You can't trust this vaccine. Here's what Governor Cuomo is. Is the worst governor in America. We have the worst mayor in New York City, and I think the worst governor. Well, some of you are probably going to say. No, I think I think he's the worst governor in America. I, I don't really think you could do worse than him. Really, where, where would you have to go for that one? California, Gavin Newsom, he's smarter than Cuomo. So you at least say that for him. But Cuomo's, uh, Cuomo's threatening to actually sue the Trump administration over this vaccine. Play 19. I tell you today, if the Trump administration does not change this plan and does not provide an equitable vaccine process, we will enforce our legal rights. We will bring legal action to protect New Yorkers. I mean, this guy is a lunatic. The, the administration has overseen the, the program that fast tracked this this vaccine to world record status. But now his claim is that they don't know how to distribute the vaccine. They've been working with the pharma companies on this for months and months and months. What what evidence is there that Governor Cuomo knows something about vaccine distribution that Trump doesn't? What you're hearing, though, you'll notice this becomes this becomes the uh, the talking point. Is that as Cuomo is suggesting that there is some kind of social justice element to this, that there's a lack of access? I, I really, are, are there neighborhoods where they don't have they have they have no health clinics, no Walmarts, no Dwayne Reeds, no drugstores, and and I mean, really, that's a thing that we're we're going to say is now the problem with the vaccine. Plus, there are going to be all kinds of government programs to get it directly into nursing homes. Plus, there's going to be. I mean, they're coming at this from so many different angles. 
and Cuomo's threatening to sue them because he doesn't think it's a good enough plan. This guy's a maniac. It's really, it's really frightening. You know, it's really frightening that these are the people who are in charge uh, and that there are, there are people dumb enough to think that they're doing a good job. That's even more terrifying. Remember the whole Cuomo Brothers variety show on CNN? Ha ha. You know, got like a big Q-tip and they did all this stuff. Ha ha. It was all so funny where people are dying in unprecedented numbers of COVID. I mean, the highest death rate we've ever seen. But they were doing a big ha ha thing late night on TV. That was really, really worthwhile for everybody to watch. Uh, so he's threatening to sue. And then he's and then he's trying to explain why this is a problem. And it's all it's all bullcrap. Doesn't make any sense. Play 20. The whole four years has been malpractice. This is a person who never said he understood government or wanted to govern. There is no governance. It was all public relations. Uh, My fear is he's making every mistake he made when COVID first started. This is just a redux. Uh, We're going to do vaccines uh, and because Pfizer and Moderna have a vaccine. Yeah, that's like COVID testing, if you remember back then. We're going to do COVID testing. I... I direct the states to do COVID testing. And then how are the states supposed to do testing? On vaccine, Mika, they have no idea what they're talking about with vaccinations. We have to do 330 million. This nation, with doing everything we did over the past eight months, only did 120 million COVID tests. This guy's a moron. He really is. We absolutely do not need to do 330 million vaccinations. He doesn't understand basic epidemiology. If you get this vaccine out to, let's say, 20 to 30 million uh, seniors, 65 and over, the death rate from this is going to go to almost almost zero. I mean, you're going to be losing you will be losing fewer people to covid than you than you're currently losing to the flu in a regular month. If you get the vaccine to all the seniors who are at risk, just bait. And I'm just telling you, if you look at the data, if you look at the numbers, who dies from COVID-19, mostly people over 75, a good number of people over 65 and almost no people under 50. I mean, you know, a, a, a tiny fraction. It's a a a wholly manageable public health risk to people under the age of 50. And yet he's saying we need to get 330 million doses of this out. First of all, what's okay? What's his plan? You know, notice this. He says they don't know and they're going to make mistakes, but he never. Okay, what's the better idea? He's just complained. He's got nothing to say. This guy is is a dangerous buffoon. He really is. And it's a shame that New York has him as a governor. He's an unserious person, a nepotistic thug that should never have had the job in the first place. This guy's literally the governor because his daddy was governor. It just goes to show you what the situation is with New York City Democrat machine politics. Um, but it's, it's also very personal for him. I mean, this is for him. It's really just about his ongoing feud. Forget about getting covid to people that are scared and that are and that are at real risk from this. What's most important to Cuomo is that his petty little schoolyard crap with with Trump is addressed. Play twenty one. That's just Trump talking. Uh, He's going to be gone. I think, frankly, we spend too much time trying to delve into the bizarre world of Trump. He's he doesn't like that. I criticize him. He doesn't like that. I stand up to him. He's a typical bully. 
uh, and it bothers him. It's not me who doubts the FDA. It's 50 percent of the American people. Kaiser poll, Pew poll, ABC poll, CNN poll. They all say 50 percent of the American people don't trust the vaccine. They believe he politicized the process. New York and six other states have put together an independent review panel to build that trust. So when the FDA Mm -hmm. says, here's our process, we have an independent panel with a Nobel laureate that can say it was a fair process because if people don't trust the vaccine, they're not going to take the vaccine. It's all for naught. Okay. What he just did there is, is truly disgusting beyond words. Why do 50% of people not trust this vaccine? Because Democrats like Cuomo and him specifically have spent months undermining the ability of the Trump administration to help produce a vaccine and for the Trump administration's FDA to oversee the safety protocols necessary for this. That's why half the country. What do you think the correlation is between people being Democrats and not trusting a vaccine? Very high. They have brainwashed their followers. They have brainwashed Biden voters into thinking that you can't trust the Trump FDA. And now they turn around and say, because of that distrust, we have to have delays and additional layers of safety and protection for people. So so people like Cuomo created that problem with their reckless demagoguery that will result in people dying who would not have died. They create that distrust and then they turn around like they're just being above the fray. Mika, you see the distrust out there about vaccines? We have to dispel that distrust now. That's why we need to have a panel. This is this is grotesque. I mean, this is beyond just political stuff now. This country has been through hell over this vaccine, and they just don't want to give Trump a win. Brainless thugs like Cuomo just care about how it looks for them and their side and their team, and they hate Trump. That's what really matters to them. Everything else is just for the cameras. Make believe. Secondary. Yeah, eventually we'll get the vaccine out to people. If we delay it a few months because we want to play games with. Think about this. This guy's really saying his public health experts. New York state government is full of morons. I can tell you this. I mean, I, I can't speak to other states as well as I can New York, but I've lived here for decades. People that work in state government in New York, a lot of state reps, big bureaucrats, functionaries within the state government system are completely incompetent fools. This is a poorly run state, which is why it's also losing hundreds of thousands of people now in this last year. But he thinks that he's going to have his 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 ex my experts will look at the vaccine. My experts will determine whether the vaccine is acceptable. Really, I, I understand. I understand how the founders must have felt about the, uh, the British overlords not giving a crap about them, taking their stuff and just ruining their lives and not not giving a care about it in any way. That's what it feels like to be an American now living in New York City in New York State under Democrat control. These people just don't care. There's nothing that I can point to and say, at least at least on that, they'll put the politics aside because it really matters. Nope. Not even saving lives. The vaccine still got to be Democrats first. Still got to be leftists, statists before all else. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. As soon as April, the vaccine will be available to the entire general population, with the exception of places like New York State, where, for political reasons, the governor 
uh, decided to say, and you know, I don't think it's good politically. I think it's very bad from a health standpoint. But uh, he wants to take his time on the vaccine. He doesn't trust where the vaccine's coming from. These are coming from the greatest companies anywhere in the world, greatest labs in the world. But he doesn't trust the fact that it's this White House, this administration. So we won't be delivering it to New York until we have authorization to do so. And that pains me to say that this is a very successful, amazing vaccine at 90 percent and more. But uh, so the governor, Governor Cuomo, will have to let us know when he's ready for it. Otherwise, we we can't we can't be delivering it to a state that won't be giving it to its people immediately. And I know many, I know the people of New York very well. I know they want it. So the governor will let us know when he's ready. He's had some very bad uh, editorials recently about this, this statement and what's happened with respect to nursing homes and his handling of nursing homes. And I hope he doesn't handle this as badly as he's handled the nursing homes. Well, that's for sure. President not, uh, not mincing words here, not pulling back the punches that Cuomo so very much deserves to be thrown in his direction. Um, if if the governor of New York holds back or any governor, for that matter, anywhere across the country. So for some of you, you know, it doesn't seem like there's quite this interpersonal feud that's broken out with the president. But you never know. You know, you, you never know. Uh, governor Newsom, because Cuomo was talking to other governors about how they wanted to try and stop the Trump rollout plan. They wanted to do something else. I don't think any of them are that stupid, though, for their own reasons, politically, that they would go along with this. Because if Cuomo, if his games, if his nonsense results in this vaccine being delayed even one day in its distribution in New York City, he should be he should be drummed out of office. I mean, he should be forced to resign. And I mean that. And it's incumbent upon the people of New York. And I mean, Democrats, too. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. He's putting people he's putting friends of mine, my loved ones, my family members at risk by being such a a just unbelievable pig-headed thug i mean this guy is the worst the worst and people vote for him they think it's a good idea ah it's it's amazing there's nothing there's no redeeming quality this guy has whatsoever none not even smart never mind the fact that he's a jerk but that's what we are up against now in this fight to get this vaccine distributed it doesn't matter who's going to be put at risk by, uh, by this. It doesn't matter to them. They don't care. All they really care about is who gets credit for what and how can this be used as a political tool. That's what they really care about. And it's a shame that people are, are, are going to suffer as a result of this. It's a shame. But just remember this because they're going to try to take this away from Trump. You can be assured of that. What President Trump has accomplished here with Operation Warp Speed is is truly amazing. And what his administration and the scientists at these big pharma companies and the people working on uh, Operation Warp Speed specifically to put in place the financial incentives and the and the federal government's backstop of this program to create the vaccine as it's being tested and proven. uh, This is this is remarkable. Um, and this is like a, a Manhattan project for curing a pandemic. And it looks like Trump has pulled this off. It's a shame that people didn't figure this out in time. Enough people didn't figure this out in time to have a different election result so far. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The battle over ballots continues. This election, as I keep reminding everybody who listens, is not over. We will be looking at lawsuits in the days ahead, at the response from judges, and just see where this all goes. We are playing out the process. So far, we have not seen ironclad proof of some of the more extreme voter fraud claims, but we also are early in the process. And we've certainly seen proof of irregularities, and there is some evidence of widespread fraud. Sworn affidavits from people who say this fraudulent thing happened affecting thousands. Remember, when we say widespread, if it happened in two or three states and we're talking about thousands of votes, that's widespread enough to swing the election. So that's widespread fraud. Still trying to see if we can prove this. And the effort on the left and the, the Democrat frenzy right now to get this whole thing shut down as fast as possible before we can even get to a result is in and of itself very telling. As I've been as I've been saying, there's no downside to getting a real answer here. There's no problem with this. They can tell you, oh, but it's slowing the Biden transition and all this. Biden's been in government longer than I've been alive, literally longer than I've been alive. And we're so worried that he's you know, not going to know what to do day one or something because there's been a few days here of lawsuits and the administration is not already saying all hail the incoming Biden chief. Sorry, it's not the way it's going to be. Now, Rudy Giuliani, who's the president's lawyer and is very much involved in making this case. I asked him to come on. He's busy today, but we'll get him on hopefully another time. So I'm, I tried to go to the source directly with him. We had uh, what uh, I interviewed Jenna Ellis from the team, the uh, Trump legal team last week. So I'm, I'm up on where they are. Rudy was on Fox making the case. And here's what here's what he said about where we are right now. So I, I want you to hear it from really the president's chief lawyer on this issue right now, or at least the mo- his most visible lawyer and spokesperson on this, Rudy Giuliani. Here he is about the, the software. I mean, this is a, a big part of this, and we have to see what we're able to prove. Remember, Sidney Powell is also involved. And I'll just say this. Sidney Powell was mocked by the mainstream media and the Democrat Party for months and months. Not a serious lawyer, conspiracy theories. She was spot on when it came to the ambush of General Flynn and the the deep state betrayal that occurred there on behalf of Hillary Clinton and the way that the justice system has failed General Flynn. It's not that he failed our justice system. It's the other way around. The justice system has failed him. She was completely correct on that. They mocked and ridiculed her and she through the actions that she took and what was uncovered as a result of her lawsuit showed us just how absurd those hateful claims directed at her were but here is rudy giuliani talking about software now this is the big this would be a a game changer if they can prove that there were intentional backdoors other means of trying to mess with these vote counts here's rudy making the case on fox play one the software that they use is done by a company called smartmatic it's a company that was founded by Chavez <laughs> and by Chavez's uh, two, two allies who still own, own it. It's been used to cheat in elections in South America. It was uh, 
It was banned by the United States several about a decade ago. It's come back now as a subcontractor to other companies. It sort of hides in the weeds. But Dominion sends everything to Smartmatic. Can you believe it? Our votes are sent overseas. They're sent to someplace else, some other country. Why do they leave our country? Yeah. And this company has and this company has tried and true methods for fixing elections, like calling a halt to the voting when you're running too far behind. They've done that in prior elections. Now, what happened on election night? He was ahead by 800,000 votes in Pennsylvania. Impossible to catch up unless you're cheating. And uh, same thing in, in Michigan, Wisconsin. He was ahead in all those states by numbers that in prior times, and I can show this to you, networks would have called for him. Yes, he's making some pretty severe allegations here. I just keep saying the same thing about this stuff. Let's find out. Let's see. Let's let's uh, understand what evidence can be presented. Let's look at what's really out there and come to a conclusion based upon what we can prove. He's saying straight up this was fixed. And the stuff that he's telling you about the information going overseas and this company, that's all, you know, as smart, manic, as shady as Rudy says it is, we should know. We should get answers to all this. We should have complete faith that our elections are secure and that are hap- they're happening the way that they should. And the only way to know that, despite what the liberal media tells you, despite what the mainstream keeps pushing, the only way to know that is if we check, if we compile what we have in terms of data, if we, if we look at these, at these allegations, take them seriously, and get answers about them, right? So that was one, the, the Smartmatic and the software, that's one part of these allegations Rudy made on TV. Now here he is with the poll watchers not being allowed to count the mail-in ballots, another major component of their lawsuits. Play two. I mean, this is unprecedented. They're counting mail-in ballots, and so they don't allow any we... Republican to inspect. That is illegal, unlawful, against the law. I don't know how else to put it. Never happened. I've done yeah. many absentee ballot uh, elections. There's a Republican on one side, a Democrat on the other. No, no, no. The Republican was out, out, outside getting pushed around by goons. When they finally get in, they're 20 feet away, and they're told to use binoculars. Binoculars, the only way you can tell whether a mail-in ballot is valid is by examining the outer envelope. The minute you remove the outer envelope, it's gone. You can no longer validate it. And that's why, under the law of every state, if you don't inspect it, the the vote is invalid. There are cases, including in Pennsylvania, that have been overturned for just a few ballots that were handled that way. We can prove that 632,000 ballots were handled that way particularly in Philadelphia. And if you tell me that Philadelphia doesn't cheat in elections, I will tell you you're living on Mars. So that would be a lot of ballots that would be invalidated. Right. And we know the mail-in ballots are expected overwhelmingly to have been for Biden. So there's your margin. And then some several times over your margin of of victory uh, for Biden disappearing and going for Trump. So people who claim that, oh, this is these challenges wouldn't even mean anything. They wouldn't even do anything. That's just not true. If you discarded 600,000 ballots because they were not properly observed in their mail-in ballots, if you did that, that obviously would change Pennsylvania. And if you look at what's going on in 
In, in other states, there are substantial questions and large numbers of ballots that are at, at issue there as well. Rudy pointed out in, in Michigan and Detroit, really, it's not the state of Michigan, it's the city of Detroit, right? These, these Democrat urban machines that are able to churn out votes just in time and just in the way ex- that was exactly as needed for Biden to win, uh, that there were problems in Detroit specifically. And here is Rudy outlining those. Play three. Now we move on to Detroit. I'm, in Detroit, yep. we have evidence that 100,000 ballots were brought in at 430 in the morning and counted. And to the extent that our witnesses, and there are four of them, saw it. And one of them is a ex-employee of Dominion. According to them, every single ballot was for Biden. And not only that, whatever ballots they could see, because these weren't Republicans, so they could get closer. Every ballot they could see, it just had Biden's name on it. Nobody else, not even another Democrat. Now, why does that happen? It happens because you know you're behind. Dominion notifies yeah. you. You call off the county and then you start doing ballots like this. You can't you can't do the down ticket. That's why you have Biden and no down ticket, because they just had enough time to get Biden's name in. We never got a chance to inspect a single one of those. That's another. Look, this is a big allegation. This is election rigging. This is a real threat to our democratic system, an actual threat if this is happening. And, you know, Rudy, remember, he was he was one saying that they had a lot of documents about Hunter Biden, and that there was going to be more information coming out about Hunter Biden. Now, I told you, because I'm always honest with you, that I didn't think it was going to matter for the election, and it didn't. I think that's pretty clear. But it was still worthwhile from a news cycle perspective. And it's good that we know it, especially if there is a Biden presidency going forward. I think people should be aware of how corrupt and how outrageous the Biden crime family really is. But that all said, Rudy was correct in talking about Hunter Biden and the way that he was getting payoffs from foreign countries. And he was ridiculed for all that. So do we really think that he's completely making all this up right now and has nothing to back him up? He'd do that? Why? What benefit would there be to him of exposing himself in that way if he really also didn't believe that this, that this effort to change these votes would be successful in and of itself? Why do you want to be the guy who's the Baghdad Bob of a losing Trump election? That does not sound like fun that does not sound like something that would be a an intelligent strategic move for just rudy on a personal level so for him to come out in this way and be firing off these kinds of allegations and charges i I think you have to take him at his word that he has real reason to believe this and now when i say take him at his word that just means let's see what he's got they're they're filing these lawsuits in court they're presenting it before judges Let's see what the information that they provide really is and what the judge's response to it. That's all within the process, within the system. This is completely legitimate. The left wants to pretend that we've already gone to this phase of ignoring what judges have said, going outside the system. And that's just not true. That's not what is happening here. But when you hear all the places where there were problems, when you hear all the places where there were issues, I mean, here's Rudy talking about um, all the different states where this software was used that could have been an issue. Play four. Well, I know for, I can prove that they did it in Michigan. I can prove it with witnesses. Uh, we're an, investigating the rest. In every one of those states, though, we have more than enough illegal ballots already documented 
to overturn the result in that state. Because um, not only did they use a Venezuelan company to count our ballots, which almost should be illegal per se. Uh, Number two, they didn't allow Republicans in key places to observe the, the mail vote. That makes the mail vote completely invalid. Now, they didn't do it everywhere. They did it in big cities where they have corrupt machines that will protect them, meaning Pennsylvania, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, in Detroit. They, they didn't have to do it in Chicago and New York or Boston. They could have. They have corrupt machines there. They, they did it absolutely in Phoenix, Arizona. They did it absolutely in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Republicans were shut out from enough of the count so they could accomplish what Smartmatic wanted to do. As I've been saying, this is a lot of, a lot of uh, big talk, a lot of large allegations here. This is major stuff and we'll see what he's able to prove we'll see what the trump team the legal team is able to bring forward i will tell you though even with sworn affidavits even with people coming forward who said i witnessed the following my concern isn't that they're not credible or that they don't exist or that giuliani's making this stuff up i don't think that's the issue i think the issue is that federal judges who look at this are going to say, I'm not overturning the res- I'm not overturning this state's election result. Sorry, not going to do it. Yeah. So I think that really the, the fall down here is going to be the system just saying we're we don't want to see the country burn. We're not willing to be the ones who stop this from happening. Sorry. And that, of course, that's perverse because they're supposed to be defending our system of democracy. But their idea will be let's allow for this assault on democracy so we don't have to have an assault on small businesses and neighborhoods all across the country that are going to get burned down by angry Biden voters. I am concerned about that, meaning that the judges will view it that way and aren't willing to turn around. And then it's you think the Supreme Court's really going to get involved, going to get involved in time in all these different states. I don't think so. I don't think that you could you could even count on the Supremes to, to jump in on this one. So That's why I keep saying, let's see what is produced. Let's see what the judges say. And then we can have a conversation about what comes next for America. But in the meantime, we simply do not know. We should fight this to the end. And when we get to the end, we can come to conclusions about what's next. But this is not over. That's where we are. And that's where we're going to stay until the facts change. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Never let a crisis go to waste. Remember that quote from Rahm Emanuel, Obama's first chief of staff in the White House? Remember that? Now, that's an old saying. It stretches back, really, I think, thousands of years. You could find that stuff in Sun Tzu and ancient Chinese philosophy. You know, a crisis and an opportunity are, are always intertwined. But... Some other places, notably our our Canadian brothers and sisters up north, eh? They're already hearing from their prime minister. It's embarrassing this guy's their prime minister, but he is. Justin Trudeau, that the pandemic is about a lot more than the pandemic. As As some of us have been saying all along, the pandemic has meaning far beyond just trying to deal with a communicable disease and and mitigate the impact on health and the economy. It's an opportunity, you see, for a great 
Reset. Play clip 10. Building back better means getting support to the most vulnerable while maintaining our momentum on reaching the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the SDGs. Canada is here to listen and to help. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. A reset, he tells you, a great reset. Let's use let's use COVID as a moment to address poverty and climate change. What? What does COVID have to do with that? Well, you see, if you took a leftist statist mindset, you wouldn't need to ask that question at all. No one would need to ask that question because it's all about fear and control. And if that's what you're looking for, COVID is a remarkable opportunity. I mean, COVID, if, if you're looking to leverage fear in order to control people, COVID is your best opportunity, certainly since the Great Recession and, and really much more powerful than that. Right. I mean, they remember they told us the entire financial system was going to melt down unless Goldman Sachs got bailed out 100 cents on the dollar for its counterparty uh, risk with AIG. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went on there that was just stunk to high heaven. But it was, hey, hey, let us do this or else the whole system melts down. Sorry. And then the bank started paying people huge salaries again the next year. And as we know, never really paid the price for it. And it was just that the losses of Wall Street were socialized in the general population in 2008, which is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, but this is a much better opportunity for social control, uh, social control even than that. And that's what uh, that's what is being said here by Justin Trudeau. He's letting everybody know that this moment of of mass mobilization against a virus just out of the just out of the Alinsky text, out of out of rules for radicals. Now you have a mass mobilization that they want to use for all the other left wing socialist agenda items. True in Canada. True here in America, too. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's dive into the latest on COVID-19 lockdowns, vaccines, college debt forgiveness, and oh, so much more. With our friend James Altucher, he is a an entrepreneur, a podcaster, author, general thinker, guy you should be following and listening to on a whole bunch of things. And uh, James, great to have you on the show. Buck, once again, so so many things happening. So great to be on the show to talk about them. Let's start with uh, let, let's start if we can with college debt forgiveness, because I find this to be fascinating. The Biden team now with the assumption that they will be the new administration. That's what they're acting upon, at least. They're saying that they will be the new administration. They're claiming that they're going to, I believe the latest plan is forgive, which just means have the federal government wipe away up to $50,000 of student loan debt for people. And I see this and I say, there's so much about this that's bothersome. And it really just feels like, uh, you know, this would be like if, if the Republicans said, you know, we're going to find a favored constituency and just straight up write checks out of the Treasury Department to them because it'll help us. It'll bail us out. This is money going from welders and mechanics to people who went to third tier liberal arts colleges and studied wokeness. Yeah. Buck, this is so upsetting. By the way, I didn't even know how you felt about this particular issue. You know, everyone feels differently, whether particularly whether they have debt or not. Well, let's just look at it from an economic perspective. Who are you going to help? 
the the person who studied, you know, some, you know, got an English degree at Harvard or Princeton or wherever and get rid of some of their debt or the tens of millions of people have been left unemployed by this pandemic. Many people living in low income housing who can't even afford to, afford to get like, I don't know, a manicurist license or a, a, a license to practice any job that will get them out of poverty. And instead, let's just give free money to people who are already well off, already have jobs, already went to a good school. You know, people, the kids who go to college, that they represent the top two thirds of society. Are we, once again, we elect a president who is neglecting completely the bottom third of society and, and the exact uh, marginalized population that Joe Biden kept promising would support. He instantly abandons the, the instant he's elected. It's so disappointing. I mean, I got into I got into business schools. I got into a couple of Ivy League business schools and I didn't go because I was a, had been a government employee. I, I didn't have a lot of money at all. And I didn't want to take out when I went. Well, you know what made me not want to do it? One, I wanted to work in media, but also, James, I didn't want to pay back loans that I knew when all said and done. People always say, oh, I took out one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of loans. But what they don't realize is that when you pay those off on the schedule, it's actually about three hundred thousand dollars of earnings over your life that, you, that, that you're paying back and you have to make. You know, considerably more than that at a, at a you know, at a, at a decent federal tax rate to have the three hundred thousand dollars of your life. It's a huge expense. And so I didn't do that. Oh. I wanted to get a job instead. If I thought the government would just gonna say, yeah, you're Columbia MBA or you're Warden MBA we're we're paying for it for you. I probably would have gone to B school for a couple of years. Yeah. Buck, this is so ridiculous. Like uh, essentially they go to 18 year olds who don't even have the. the don't even have the ability to understand what's a huge risk, what's not. They say, oh, here's a quarter of a million dollars you could borrow. And by the way, don't worry about this yet, but this is the one kind of debt you can't get rid of in a bankruptcy. We will garnish your wages. We will make your life miserable and forget about being an entrepreneur. Like we're generating an entire generation of kids that can't be entrepreneurs. They have to, they have to start paying back their loans right away. And again, we're not helping the people who need help. Let's think about, I mean, sure, it always sounds like good intentions. The Department of Education started in 1980. Ever since 1980, college tuitions have risen three times faster than, in, than inflation. Uh, debt has gone from zero to $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. I mean, the president of Quinnipiac College, what school is that? I don't know, makes over $3 million. Why? Because the student, he knows the government's going to make the students all pay this debt. And now Joe Biden's administration is going to forgive this debt. And again, what about the girl raising three kids living in low income housing who has been, I don't know, doing her friend's nails all her life, but she can't afford to get a, a blue collar license to work in a nail salon. These are people who are actually starving while, you know, People who went to great school are vacationing and getting a $50,000 check from Biden. We're speaking to James Altucher, author, podcaster, entrepreneur, and uh, as I've been saying, guy whose insights you should hear on this and a whole bunch of topics. I mean, what, what do you think, if anything, should be done? I mean, my, my position is that there should be a lot more, and, and this is a, a broad, I know this is a broad spectrum approach, there should be a lot more focus on one, 
delaying. I don't think people should go from high school right into college. I think the gap year, I mean, they do this in Europe. They do this in other places. I think a gap year at least makes a lot of sense. Spend a year or two, you know, making likely minimum wage somewhere or at least doing service or whatever it may be and then have a better understanding of what it is you want to do. I think four years for most undergrad programs is probably absurd. They should condense it. I think the college tuitions are far too high. Now we see with all this remote learning. I mean, I I think there needs to be a a pretty radical rethink of this four-year liberal arts degree as a ticket to a better future. For a lot of people, that's just not the case. And especially when you're talking about taking out you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars of loans a year when you add in housing expense and everything else to go to schools that no one ever is going to say, oh, wow, you went there. I'm going to give you a job now. I don't think people understand that. I mean, kids don't. I mean, I mean, there is a lot of I mean, since 1992, the average college graduate between ages of 18 to 35 income has gone down inflation adjusted. So it's not as even as if going to college gets you a better income. People say, oh, well, it gives you a better social experience. Let me tell you something. For $250,000, an 18-year-old is gonna, doesn't need $250,000 to figure out how to be social with friends. Like They're going to drink and have a party and make, make friends. And you know what? They're going to work, too. So I, I don't even know. I mean, this is an extreme view, but I'm not even sure what the benefits of college are. It does not help get a job anymore. It does not help get a bigger income. It does, I don't remember. Do you remember any college? I don't certainly remember anything or very little. It's 30 years ago. And most people don't do for a career what they did in college. You could go to a library. You could read a book. You could take online classes. I agree. I don't think there should be a college. James, I, I think that this needs to be just radically uh, you know, changed. I mean, I, I think it's a, a lot of things, a lot of moving pieces here. But, yeah, I don't. I don't talk to anybody I went to college with really anymore, and I don't care. I don't go back. I wasn't in a fraternity. I mean, I just I don't understand. I think this is an old model, and especially with the way information now, people have so much more access. I mean, you can watch, you can listen on podcasts, you can watch on YouTube, Yale professors, and they have the whole syllabus online. I mean, you can actually do this stuff on your own if you really want to know. But it was a the thing is, it was largely, I believe, a credentialing program, and that's really what. And, and it turned into this this big arms race to get into certain schools and getting into that school means that you're going to, you know, have this much better life. Well, there's only so many schools that's really true of. And even those schools, it's not a ticket to anything necessarily. It can be an advantage. But I think that this has all been it is an arms race. And so the basic undergraduate degree has been diluted even as a as a marketplace thing. Forget about what you actually learn, which I think is is minimal at best in most of these schools, uh, I, I think that the value of it has changed. I mean, if, if you have more people than ever with undergraduate degrees, people should understand the basic economics of this. That means that your undergraduate degree is less competitive for jobs when you get out. And we keep seeing this happen. Yeah. I mean, again, there's been studies that show, uh, uh, you know, oh, 30 years after getting a degree, you, you'll have a, you'll have more money in the bank. But these these studies show that if you graduated in 1980, 30 years later, you'll have money in the bank. 1980, they didn't have any student loan debt and tuitions were much uh, cheaper. But even if you look at those studies, the benefit only happens if you went to Harvard. It turns out that all the statistics are BS unless you're talking about 
Harvard. And so even those studies, which should do well, are not doing well. And it's, it's so much worse right now. And I agree, there's so many great courses online. You could take, you could take screenwriting from Aaron Sorkin. You could take you know, history from Yuval Harari. You could take cooking from Wolfgang Puck. You could learn actual skills as an apprentice somewhere. You know, I have, I have five kids. Some of them go to college, some of them don't. The ones who don't go to college, they get an extra four years. They, get, they have money in the bank when everyone else is in debt. And it's just a great thing. The kids, you know, don't forget, we're talking about a $1.6 trillion loan industry. Do you think they're gonna just let that industry die without putting up a fight? There is so much marketing. Oh no, you have to go to college to have a well-rounded education. It, when was the last time you had to calculate the volume of a cylinder <laughs> or you had to know what Ohm's law was or what the 12th element on the periodic table is? Like. People don't need the things you learn in college you never use later on in life. And by the way, your closest friends later on in life are the people you, you work with and your family and the people you grow with as an adult. Like, you know, I look, I, I totally again, agree. I, I'm not I think sure this, what the actual value of college is. This, it needs to be radically rethought. Uh, James, can we can we hold you through for a second? I want to come back and talk to you about the pandemic and the flight from NYC. We got James Altucher with us, everybody. Follow him on social media. Check out his podcast, his books, uh, and he's an entrepreneur. We'll be right back. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're back with my friend James Altucher, podcaster, author, entrepreneur. Uh, James, big story over the weekend. They're looking at address changes now during the pandemic here from NYC. So permanent change of address. A few hundred thousand, I think it was 300,000 households left New York. Now, those are households, so that doesn't mean 300,000 people. That could be right. two, three, four people even. Um, what did you think of this number, and, and what do you think it's telling us about New York's prospects? Well, look, I love New York. Nobody, I've lived in New York all my life. I live there now. But this is exactly what I wrote in my column in August which everybody then hated on. But the reality is sales taxes are going down. Income taxes are going down. Property taxes are going down. One in four New York residents haven't paid rent since March. 8,000 to 10,000 restaurants are out of business. Maybe 80,000 small businesses are out of business. People are going to leave. If you can't pay for New York City services through taxes, New York City has to fire garbage collectors, teachers, EMT workers, police, it's not a good situation. If you can't provide services, people will want to leave. If you're going to, if you're threatening to raise taxes, people will want to leave. This is exactly what's happening. It's not 300,000 people. It's more like a million. And you're not even get, hearing from the people who don't submit change of address. Like a lot of young people just simply left town, moved back. Two million people around the country moved back in with their parents from urban areas. So 300,000 is the tip of the iceberg. They're saying New York City's 35% down in sales taxes. Wait till income taxes hit in 2021 and 2022 as people are leaving. It's a disaster. And and I've got to say, there's no reason to believe that the powers that be. I mean, I'm pretty I'm tough on Cuomo and de Blasio on this show, but I don't think I'm tough enough. I mean, I think they're two of the worst politicians in the country. I really do believe that de Blasio was the worst mayor in America for a large city. And it seems like there's almost a part, especially of de Blasio, that welcomes this catastrophe economically, you know, this financial catastrophe for the city, 
because it allows for the great remaking of New York into this, you know, uh, low to middle income paradise where the state is providing for people. Yeah, which, by the way, the city can't afford, right? They're, they're about $50 billion in the hole when you really add it up. And already de Blasio is threatening to fire 22,000 city employees. These are people who have worked all their lives for the city. They were essential workers during the pandemic. Now they're the first ones being fired. And again, that's going to provide, that's going to make the city provide even fewer services. So you can have guys like Seinfeld from the Hamptons say, New York City will live forever. We've got grit. But what are you going to tell these people who need, who live paycheck to paycheck, need their jobs, were frontline workers, and now they're getting fired, and there's no way to pay for them. There's no way to to raise the money to pay for them. Like you know what you have to do, and this is not going to be popular. But why is New York City running 27 hospitals poorly? Give them to sell them for 30 billion dollars to a, a company that will run them successfully. Why are we running all these City University of New Yorks? Are we in the education business? No, we're cities sell them to a, a bigger institution or just get rid of them. What what are we doing? Like right now, everybody who makes a dollar buys on Amazon. No one is shopping local anymore. We need to open stores. We're, we're addicted to Amazon. And, and so money is not staying in the city. We need to provide incentives somehow for people to shop locally, do some kind of creative couponing or even some crypto solution, get people shopping locally. But it's going to be really hard to encourage people to move back to New York. Every co No company wants the liability, so they're telling their employees, work remote. Every company loves saving on the costs. So, hey, we could, we could uh, lease less floor space. And finally, uh, employees, your studies are showing they're more productive working at home. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not good. And everybody I speak to has not even offered a single solution. What do you think, just just real quick, what's your your uh, 60 second take or so on now they're telling us we got to mask up and social distance after the distribution of a vaccine. So even if you get a vaccine that's 95 percent effective as an individual, they're still being you're still being told by Dr. Fauci and others wear a mask and social distance. Yeah, I, I mean, look at like Boris Johnson right now. He already had coronavirus and. Uh, today it was revealed he was exposed to someone with COVID-19, so he's quarantining himself. Where is the studies on immunity? Okay, this this virus has been around for since probably last December. What what do we know? we must know something about immunity? What's the story? How are these vaccines being made if not taking into account immunity? Are we going to need a new vaccine every three months? This is just too chaotic. Now we know better about the the populations that get hit by this. We know better about treatment. Let's just us as people figure this out. We're not idiots. We don't need to have our hands held by the government. If there's an outbreak of 12 people in Minnesota, get them treated and keep them, you know, we, we also have to be careful about contact tracing now. People are being literally shipped into practically prisons for uh, people who are being quarantined who are exposed to other people with COVID. Some of those conditions are getting pretty nasty. So the whole solution's a mess it's, right now. It's a mess. They need to back off. Everybody listen to James Altucher. Follow him on social, podcaster, author, entrepreneur. James, always appreciate your time. Buck, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know who I really don't think we need to hear from right now? There are a lot of people. I mean, hello! Hillary comes to mind for sure. But you know who I just... 
don't feel any need whatsoever for us to hear from. Uh, that would be Barack Hussein Obama. Don't need to hear from this guy. It's, it's not useful. It's not helpful. But of course, we're going to because you know what's really happened here, right? Joe Biden has been propped up and put forward as essentially the third term of an Obama administration, which is why you're going to have a lot of Obama alumni, alumni and alumna or whatever, uh, who people that work for that administration are going to be in this administration. All of the So get ready for that. That's I think that's a guarantee at this point. But here is Obama just just piling on with the usual. Trump is a dictator uh, or compares him to dictators in the most reckless and irresponsible fashion. Play clip 11. This sense over the last several years that literally anything goes and is justified in order to get power. Uh, And uh, that's not unique to the United States. There are strong men and dictators around the world who think that I can do anything to stay in power. Uh, I can kill people. I can throw them in jail. I can run phony elections. I can suppress journalists. Um, But that's not who we're supposed to be. That's crazy. I mean, what he's saying here is, is insane. First of all, Literally anything goes under Trump. It, it, was he asleep for the last four years? Did Trump just say, OK, you know what? I'm building a wall. I don't care what the courts say. I don't care what's happening. I'm doing it. I'm ordering the military to do it. And it's done. No, he had judges that said no. And he had to go around and find it in the budget and see if it was legal and then come back. and go. Think of all the different issues. Did, did Trump... Uh, uh, get rid of Obamacare entirely. No, he did not. Did he just say it's gone? No, didn't happen. What What is the unconstitutional action that President Trump engaged in? That's what I really want to know. Where did Trump, because Obama broke the Constitution in a whole bunch of ways. Obama was much closer to a dictator than Trump was. This is the part of this that's so interesting. Let's just take the media, for example, suppressing journalists. CNN might get sold now because they realize that without a Trump presidency, what does CNN even offer? It's not a journalistic enterprise. So what happens to it? You know, how does this have real value going forward? Jim Acosta, these other people at CNN, they they elevated their careers by going against the president. That's the opposite of what happens in a dictatorship, in a fascistic state. What you have is the media all fawning over the dear leader. Right? When you look at dictatorships, the media is co-opted. And who had a co-opted media? Obama did. If you went against Obama in the media, you were considered a right-wing loon or your career was, was dramatically damaged. You weren't allowed to do it. Nothing Obama did was to be criticized. And there was even little things. You know, they hid... The photo of Obama shaking hands during his campaign in 2008 with Farrakhan, just because they knew they were supposed to do that. You got to hide that photo of Obama shaking hands with Farrakhan. That's not going to look good for him. This was the press. We're talking about suppressing. They're suppressing information. The big tech companies were suppressing information about Hunter Biden this time around and about the Bidens going into the election, as we know. But that's not new in the sense that the, the media and big tech were colluding on the suppression of information about Obama. 
That was not favorable, right? Google with their algorithms, so many ways that this is done. But Obama had the media in his pocket. That's really troubling. When you have 95% of journalists in a country who will find a way to justify your imprisonment by a leader, by a dictator, that's when you got big concerns. When 95% of the journalistic establishment is calling the president, the duly elected president, a traitor, and they're getting rich and famous for doing so, your problem is not fascism. Your problem is a dishonest media. That's the part of this that they're hoping that everybody forgets. That's the component of this whole situation that you have to remember as they're just going about rewriting history here, including Obama himself. Here he is then uh, also saying, um, I mean, also the, the, the stuff about it, Trump can do anything. I can kill people. I can throw them in jail. Who did Trump order killed or who did he? Because, you know, Obama did have uh, two U.S. citizens, Amor Alaki and his son, killed with drone strikes. Never, never tried in a court. Not even tried in absentia that we know about. Nothing. Just done. Killed. Alaki's son was 16 years old. Drone strike. Gone. How many other drone strikes did Obama? Remember, that was fine, though, because Obama was ordering it. You know, the, the drone strikes in Afghanistan and Pakistan, just so many of them. And Obama would make jokes about it, but then the government would still pretend that it was some big secret. So nobody who knew anything about the drone program, people like me, could not say anything from their time in the intelligence community. Obama could make jokes about it in public. I mean, I'm being serious, literally make jokes about it. Talk about, you know, uh, how if, if anyone, you know, any boys ask his daughters out, you know, he's got drones or whatever. I mean, he'd make dr- jokes about being the president who orders drone strikes. But you couldn't talk about it if you had any knowledge of it and say that the drone strikes were happening where they were because it was classified. Just to protect the government from having to actually explain what was going on with that. The Obama administration governed to explain that. Obama uh, tapped the phones used by, what, 20 Associated Press journalists? He was tapping the phones of journalists, friends, to get at their sources. But, but Trump is the tyrant. That's, that's the game we're talking about. Now. Trump is the tyrant. Oh, really? The Obama DOJ listed a Fox News reporter at the time, now he's at uh, Sinclair, James Rosen, as an unindicted co-conspirator on a classified leak of information, which people leak to journalists classified information all the time. But but the problem for the press is Trump. So if you oppose Trump, you get more famous and rich. If you are a a huge anti-Trump demagogue demagogue in the media, you've done nothing but become more famous, right? And yet this is a brave position and Trump is a grave threat to humanity as a result. This is absurd, friends. This is absurd, right? Intelligent people can't really believe this. Um, and of course, what they really want now is for us to back away from Trump and refuse to continue to support him. Uh, here's Obama talking about those people, that because that's what they want. They want everyone to pull support from Trump, leave him high and dry, so he flails all by himself in this legal fight. And I say, no, I refuse. I think the president's right to chase down these challenges. He's right to make sure this vote was legitimate. And there's nothing illicit. There's nothing illegal or outside the box of what he's doing. Here's, though, Obama trying to get uh, Republicans to back off. Play 13. 
What are these false claims of widespread election fraud doing to our country right now? The president doesn't like to lose and uh, never admits loss. Um, I'm more troubled by the fact that other Republican officials who clearly know better are going along with this, are humoring him in this fashion. Um, it is one more step in delegitimizing not just the incoming Biden administration, but democracy generally. And that's a dangerous path. We would never accept that out of our own kids behaving that way if they lost. Right? I, I, I mean, if, if, if my daughter's in, in any kind of competition, uh, pouted and, and then accused uh, the other side of uh, cheating when they lost, when there was no evidence of it, we'd scold them. There is evidence, so they can keep saying there's no evidence, but that's not true. And I I also think it's fascinating that they keep going to this, it's a threat to democracy. Oh, yes, you mean bringing entirely legitimate legal challenges in a court of law completely in accordance with the rule of law? That's, oh, yeah, that's exactly what Stalin would have done. Oh, we held an election and I didn't win, so let's, Let's now go and see if the courts are going to agree that the election was was rigged in some way with me. Yeah. Or, or he just would have seized power and never even had an election. Right. This is so dumb. There's no intelligent argument being made here. This is there's nothing dictator like about this. They want to call him a crybaby. They want to say he's a sore loser. Fine. I mean, that's politics. To say he's being a dictator. It's absurd. There's no basis for that. There's nothing he's doing that is in violation of norms legal norms, right? I'm not talking about what people would like or how they, you know, the spirit of fair play or this other stuff. They'd complain about that no matter what. But, you know, Obama's out there giving voice to all of this right now. Meanwhile, Ken Starr, who is a guy who knows quite a, quite a, a few things about recounts and votes and politics. Here he is on the irregularities we've seen. Play 14. Well, let's just take Michigan, the lawsuit that was filed. And again, we have to let the lawsuit run its course. The lawsuit, if it is meritorious, that's the if we need to know, would change over one million votes. In Georgia, ditto. And, of course, Georgia itself has a state audit underway. That's exactly right. There will be a recount in in Georgia. If you take all these together, Pennsylvania, allegations in Pennsylvania, these are allegations. What we do know is in Pennsylvania, as Justice Samuel Alito indicated, I'm going to embellish here, utterly unconstitutional. And we've seen changes, including Gavin Newsom in California, just condemned by a state court judge for doing what he did, this unprecedented flood of mail-in ballots. All the more reason why in this election, we need to check. We need to check. That is the argument. There's nothing bad faith about it. There's nothing silly or absurd or we need to check. That's it. They can complain about this as much as they want. They can pretend that this is uh, this is awful and it's practically North Korea. That's that's just not that's just not intelligent. It's not not honest. We need to check. We are doing so. The Trump team has every right. Let's see where this goes. This fight is not over. The states have not certified. The Electoral College has not given its votes. We have time left. Let's see what they have. But remember this. The Democrats 
know that even more than just this election, which is a lot, but even more than just this presidential election is at stake right now, if there is fraud that is found and proven and that a court takes action on that changes even one state, let's say it's not even enough, not even enough to flip this election, but it is intentional and it's real, that means that the next time around, we will be on very solid ground. I don't think they'll be able to win the argument, at least in the court of public opinion, that we should not have much more secure procedures in place for the next election to prevent something like this. Remember, it's not just this election. It's the whole concept of almost universal mail-in balloting. It's not just this election. It's about the next one, too. It's about the Democrat Party's reputation, perhaps, if it's caught cheating this time around, as the party of cheaters, which will be used by our side again the next time to say, sorry, we're not just going to take it on your word. We're not going to allow ballot counting to occur without Republicans present. And we'll bring more legal challenges the next time. This is done the right way. It's done within the rule of law or it's not done at all. That's the way we have to do all of this. That's the, the pathway forward. So let's all let's all keep that in mind, too. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. There are lies about voter voter fraud all across social media these days. These lies would not be nearly as popular if there were no demand for it. These marches that Sarah Seidner was at yesterday, they would not be attracting thousands of people if there was no demand for this parallel universe. It's the result of a poisonous stew of social alienation, negative partisanship, severe distrust of news sources, and I'm sure there are other factors as well. Look, the Trump supporters in my life, the people who voted for him two weeks ago, they don't believe the election was rigged. They're moving on. Most people are moving on. Most Trump voters do not buy all the baloney uh, that's being sold by Rudy and by Trump and by these others. But some do. It's hard to know exactly how many. But I think we can confidently say, as I look at the ratings reports and web traffic reports, that millions of people are buying into this parallel universe. Well, first of all, let's understand how many Trump supporters do you think Brian Stelter really does? How many? I think it's very few. Very few Trump supporters does Brian Stelter actually know. Uh, why can't they respond? Why can't Stelter, media critic over at CNN, whatever whatever kind of job that is, right? Media critic. You're in the media. You're a media critic. Uh, wh- why is it that Stelter over at CNN can't deal with what Trump supporters, at least a lot of us, are saying, which is, you notice he says it's a lie about voter fraud. I've never lied about voter fraud on this show. I've talked about allegations that are out there that I want investigated. But 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 repeating an allegation is not the same thing as a lie, especially on a on a situation in a situation like this, where why is it so unthinkable that there would be voter fraud? There's voter fraud. It does happen. This isn't a space, you know, alien landing. This is something that actually goes on. I know some of you say, Buck, there are extraterrestrials, but that's a different show. So why are they saying lies? It's not there's no lies here. We're asking for answers. We want to know the truth. How do we get to the truth? Putting forward information, having it tested in court, and letting the public see what's really going on. 
But over the weekend, you had the, the MAGA march happening in D.C. I was sorry I couldn't be down there. But you saw this, uh, these videos of all this extreme violence, and it's just all Trump supporters getting attacked. I'm not saying there's never violence from the right. I'm not saying there aren't people who are Trump supporters who sometimes want to get into a scrap. Of course there are. But there is a widespread acceptance and promotion of political violence that exists on the left that simply does not exist on the right. It just doesn't. There's no equivalency here. It's a false equivalency. That's why it's so amazing. Even after this weekend, when you have leftists attacking Trump supporters, you've got, you know, the queen of the idiots, AOC, out there saying that Trump is stoking the flames of violence. Play 24. To me, I already believe that uh, President Trump is already stoking um, the flames of violence, as he has done um, for several years. You know, we saw we saw even with the with the ballot counts that were happening in Philadelphia, his rhetoric and his attacks on our institutions and our systems um, inspired, uh, very likely inspired um, a group of what seems like domestic terrorists to attempt to attack um, where ballots were being counted in Philadelphia. Where's this violence they keep saying Trump is inspiring? Where, where is this exactly? I mean, Antifa has executed people for being Trump supporters. It happened out in Portland. Where, where is this? Oh, they're, they're going to point to that kid up in Kenosha who was attacked, including by a guy with a gun. He shot in self-defense. That's not Trump violence. They could try to say it is, but they're full of it. Where, where is this mass of violence? Because Antifa goes around punching people, harassing and menacing them in the streets of our nation's capital, as they did this Wednesday. Those are all Biden voters, folks. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email us. And on Instagram, Buck Sexton. Send us a message for the inbox. And good, make sure you go to BuckSexton.com as well. Please check us out there. we got stories posted. Hoping to have a, a my latest editorial of the week up tomorrow. We're going to try to shoot for Tuesdays, maybe Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, be our editorial day for that's that's right me writing an editorial for bucksexton.com every week uh, so please check it out site is new and improved looks great tastes great less filling you remember that you're probably too young for that producer mark i know the reference miller was it miller light or bud light i think bud light it's bud light it's probably bud light yeah tastes great less filling do people still drink budweiser the same way Yes, oh. I'd say it's the most commonly drunk beer in the in the world, yeah, or in the yeah, country. I just, at least. I just feel like I saw, and they must have stopped doing beer commercials, right? Because you don't see. I remember beer commercials used to be great. It was like people just all hanging out and you know bathing suits at the beach, and then all of a sudden these Clydesdale horses running through snow out of nowhere, and it was, you know, it was like yeah, beer commercials, man. I feel like I never see beer commercials anymore. They still do some pretty big Super Bowl ads and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, you know what it is? Actually, I just realized I don't see commercials really because I don't watch normal TV. Exactly. You don't watch sports and you don't watch uh, That's what it live is. television. Yeah, I don't watch TV anymore. I mean, I watch like digital 
nonlinear television almost exclusively now. I'll have uh, Fox in the background somewhat as a uh, uh, kind of a news ticker throughout the day. But even that, I mean, the, the stuff I have access to on the Internet is so much more timely and speedier than, than what I got there. How was the producer Mark weekend? Quiet, restful. Yeah, just yeah, chilling? Just chilling. Nothing really going on. You try any new shows or anything? No. Yeah. I'm a boring start, person, but clearly. I started watching, uh, I, I think of it as peaceful, producer Mark. I started watching a show on HBO called The Outsider. It's Stephen King, and I usually don't like this horror movie stuff. For some reason, even though it's really disturbing and, and very creepy, I keep watching it. And we keep watching it. But it's it's traumatizing. Like, you watch this, you're like, ooh, this is creepy. Um, it's good, though. I don't know. It's well done. I, I'm kind of like, I think we're probably going to finish the whole first season. We're about six, seven episodes in. Um, so I guess we watched it last weekend and this weekend. We watched two or three, you know, episodes over the course of the weekend, each weekend. So that one's pretty good. I got to finish Barbarian or Barbarian or whatever it's called, um, which is this, uh, this show that, you know, it's about barbarians and the Ro- ancient Roman times. So there's that. And uh, yeah, other than that, I just Snow Princess made me a tray of gluten free. So it turns out Rice Krispies are not technically gluten free. People don't know that. Uh, Rice Krispies, they use a malt or I'm sorry, a barley based sweetener for the Rice Krispies is the final ingredient. And that does have gluten. So I can't even eat Rice Krispie treats, which is very annoying, but I can get gluten free Rice Krispie treat knockoffs. So we got those, and she made me Rice Krispie Treats. The problem is, Producer Mark, she made them yesterday. I basically only had them myself, and there was a big pan of them, and now half the pan is gone. I think that the boogeyman came and took some of them. I think it was you. I just have a feeling. I got to come up with some kind of an excuse here. At least say Tallulah ate them. Yes, Tallulah, you little scoundrel. You got up on that counter. I know you did. She would probably love... She actually likes sweet things, which doesn't really surprise me. What's always funny to me is sometimes I've tried to give her people food. Like, I'll try to give her a, a bit of fish that I've cooked or something, and she'll just look at me like, ugh, no. I'm like, wow, doesn't like the cooking. Does not like the cooking. Anyway, so I... By the way, look, you are officially... Single buck is gone. What? You've I now eat? started saying we about television shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's no, over. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. You know, it's... um. It's good. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm embracing, you know, I, 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 we have candles that, that go a lot now, and uh, I keep the apartment cleaner, and, you know, I like to cook and uh, do, some, do some slow cooking on the weekends, too, use the slow cooker, and uh, gosh, you know, play some easy listening music in the background, maybe go to Home Depot. I don't know if we're going to have enough time, you know? Is she coming to Thanksgiving, too? Cause oh, then yeah, she's coming oh, yeah. to Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's coming with the family Thanksgiving. Yeah, you're done. Yep. All righty, let's get into the roll call. Michael, if this recount goes Trump's way, will the Democrats still want to heal our divide and come together? Um, Michael, the answer is most certainly no. The Democrats will not want to heal the country. I am not really prone to overstatement about these things. If somehow Trump pulled off the win at this point, you would see mass riots in major American cities that would last for weeks. Right. Producer Mark, would that even surprise you? Imagine we wake up in three weeks and the, the news announcers are saying it turns out that the, the judges and yada yada, Trump actually won these three states. 
So he's now actually the president elect. Do you think things are, do you think that people are going to go quietly over that one? I would lock myself down and not leave the house for, <laughs> yeah, for a month. Exactly. It would be like the, uh, did you ever see the original purge movie? Yes. Yeah. It I would did. be like, be that. like that. Like you'd want to just stay home. You'd want to stay home. Uh, you would not want to go anywhere. So yeah, I, I do not think that they will accept it at all. I also think the odds of that happening are, are, are pretty small. So, and as I've been telling you all along, I, I think they're pretty small. I was not, just to be clear, my election prediction was not off by very much. It was actually much better than pretty much all the pollsters. I said, uh, and this is a matter of record because I, I wrote this on Twitter too, and I said on the show, I said Trump was going to win Florida and Ohio, that Biden was going to win Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. I did say Trump would win Pennsylvania. That was the one that it looks like I got wrong, and I didn't realize he was going to lose Georgia. Uh, but other than that, and I said it was going to be a very narrow Trump win. I think I, I predicted um, 270-something votes to 260-something votes for Biden. So now, granted, the Electoral College victory for Biden may end up being bigger than that. And that's all assuming that we don't get these reversals in the court. But I'm just saying I was way closer to reality than pretty much all the pollsters except for uh, Trafalgar. Brad, dear Buck and Mark, the election isn't even finalized. And the crazy left is already making demands of Biden. I recently read news reports that the co-founder of the BLM movement wants a personal sit down with Biden to discuss their demands and expectations of the Biden administration for giving him the black vote. So now the black vote is a quid pro quo to the office of the presidency. Elizabeth Warren wants Biden to bypass the House and take executive actions concerning student debt and minimum wage standards that would cost the American taxpayer billions, if not trillions. Where has this attitude or belief come from that says everything should be given freely without worker sacrifice and that everything should be fair? I'm very concerned about the effects the liberal agenda will have on our great country. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Trump win for a Trump win, but also trying to prepare for the liberal onslaught called the Biden presidency. Thank you for all that you you do. Keep us informed. Shields high. Yeah, Brad. uh, Hmm. You know, their executive orders is where you're going to see a lot of the early. Biden stuff come in again, assuming that we don't have these court reversals of the vote in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan. So that's where you're going to see a lot of of action. That's where you're going to see a lot of movement from the Biden team. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. The legislative branch, Congress is is what's really supposed to be in charge of changing policies. But Democrats don't care what they care about is getting their way and getting what they want. And so whatever is useful to that end, to that purpose, is what they're going to support. And as for um, the fairness, this kind of fairness approach called the, uh, the Biden fairness doctrine, uh, yeah, this is, this is also very central to Marxist and socialist thought, which is that any imbalance in the end results that people enjoy in society must be the result of structural inequality Inequity is the result of structural inequality that must be addressed to get rid of the inequity. Equity being the end result, equality being the treatment of people as the same through the through the process. Uh, They want to change that. They want to change that. And that gives them an endless amount of opportunities if they take that approach for things like, okay, we know that college educated, predominantly college educated whites, for example, will be helped. Um, you know, so a majority of the people that will be helped 
by a student loan forgive us up to $50,000 are college-educated white liberals. That's the constituency they're going for there. Now, they already really have those as Democrats, but they, it's, a, it's a huge giveaway to them, and it will perhaps mobilize even more help from, from that, uh, that constituency. And when you look at, uh, for example, when you look at uh, college-educated white women, that's a demographic. When they're married, they become Republicans generally. That's what happens. But when they're single, they're, they're liberals, they're Democrats, and they want to make sure they shore that constituency up going, going forward. Uh, so that's why that giveaway is so important to Democrats. Sam writes, how do, I, how do I show a reasonable Democrat that mainstream media are not neutral entities but are in fact what you call the information arm of the Democrat Party? A family member seemed genuinely confused about where I was getting information to make me question the election results. When I pointed her to conservative news sites, she said, but they are reporting crazy stuff that's not true. I know because all the legitimate news sites say so. How do I show her that the New York Times and CNN are not the middle, but are only slightly the right of Vox and the Huffington Post? Shields high. Well, Sam, there's not really one answer to this. It's it's a collective. It's a, you know, over time, piece by piece conclusion that you come to. And and so it builds it's cumulative is the word I was looking for a cumulative approach, not collective. And that's that's really why we know. But if you want one thing to do would just be, you know, have her, you know, you could sit with her and go through the Twitter feed of a a prominent uh, either CNN personality or CNN, just the, the news site on Twitter, CNN, and go through it all and show that. Anybody who is being honest would see it's a Democrat-aligned left-wing propaganda effort. That's what you, that is what you are getting with something like that. Uh, I, I think all you have to do is scroll through the Twitter account and you'll see that. So that's one way to go if you're looking for an easy one. Um, the other thing to do would just be set up side by side, show her how. CNN.com covers an issue and then show her how the Huffington Post, what their top stories are, and then show her like the BBC. Now, the BBC is not conservative, it's not, but I just mean as a, as, a, as a different news approach, because I think it's clear how much opinion is infused now, even into the headlines and just everything about something like CNN. They, they don't even really try to hide it anymore. They're at a new level of Democrat propaganda. They, they've reached a whole new heights of that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call to finish us out for the day. We've got Brian. Greetings, Buck and Mark. Quick question. If a state does a recount between a Trump and between Trump and Biden, does that automatically trigger a recount of down ballot candidates as well? Just wondering if a recount in Georgia may inadvertently prevent a runoff race. Um, I don't think so, Brian. I'd have to look. I mean, every state has different laws and results, but I think that Georgia Senate runoff situation is going to play out as as anticipated right now. I don't foresee any change in that. Uh, so, and I know Trump is already Trump is already very much upset with the ballot recount in Georgia. So. See what what other legal challenges are going to come up there. JJ, hey, Bach and producer Mark. Everyone's complete lack of surprise. 
Not only are the Democrats canceling Thanksgiving, but they're also depressing the economy. I work in the hospitality industry, and while two weeks ago we were steadily recovering our business and looking to finally rehire some staff, we're drying back up again. Praying President Trump's legal challenges bear fruit. Thanks for keeping us informed, encouraged, and safe and warm at night. Well, JJ, you're welcome for that safety and warmth. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And as for uh, the depressing of the economy, yeah, this is a, a huge component of why these COVID lockdowns are so, yes, costly in financial terms, but costly in very human terms, too. It's more than just the loss of a paycheck when someone loses a job. It's that, it's that sense of, of purpose in the community. It's the respect of, of peers and family. It's, it's that, uh, that desire to provide and, uh, and meeting that, that challenge, right? It's, it's a lot for people, it's psychologically, emotionally, really challenging for them. So it, it is clearly depressing the economy. And in depressing an economy, you're actually depressing people, too. You're making them depressed. And that has a tremendous downside for our society, for our country. And I don't think it's getting nearly enough attention uh, in the mainstream press. Not at all. Let me see. Here we go. Russ writes, Buck, I'm confused. You continue to say don't bend the knee. Then you say I wear a mask all the time. I realize there's a little bit of don't charge the machine gun nest in that, but you're setting a bad example. When does civil disobedience become the plan? Well, Russ, uh, Russ, let me tell you what happens. If, if I go around not wearing a mask by myself, um, I am outvoted in New York and outnumbered at least about nine, eight to nine to one. And in Manhattan, it's more like 20 or 30 to one. And so what happens is I start getting fined and I, then they'll move to have an eviction proceeding against me over time uh, in my own building. And it's not a battle that I can win. So it is just charging the machine gun nest in New York City. There are other places in the country where there are enough people who are willing to join in a maskless movement. And remember, I'm not anti-mask all the time. Uh, you know, indoors with people who are at higher risk, if it makes people feel more comfortable. I don't think that's as much of an imposition. I'm just adamantly against masking up outdoors and for very brief periods where you're walking through a restaurant, through a lobby. I mean, it's just absurd. Um, I think that the science on masking is incomplete. And I think that the uh, policies, government policies around that are overreach. But, you know, it's a little bit rust like me. If you ask me, Buck, you say the tax rate's too high and that it's confiscatory. Why don't you just not pay your taxes? Well, because I'll just go to prison. If that's not that's not building a movement to change the tax code. That's just me breaking, you know, in New York, it's state law, my friend, right now. So I, I would be breaking the law. I mean, you ask for civil disobedience. If there were other New Yorkers who I think would join me, that would be one thing. But otherwise, you're just the one guy with, you know, his fixed bayonet running up to the machine gun nest with the Germans already sighted in on you. And that's not good. No point in being cannon fodder. But it's a fair question. I appreciate you asking. All right, team, that's it for today. Please check out BuckSexton.com and pass the buck. Tell somebody about this podcast, The Buck Sexton Show, wherever you listen to podcasts, shields high.